1: Darren Pritchett.
2: And my co-host for the 5 o'clock hour today is the one, the only, Eric Hansen, the publisher and editor at Sports.com. He covers Notre Dame athletics as part of of the Rivals Network. That's inside indiesports.com. Eight minutes after five o'clock on this Wednesday, February the 7th of 2024. It is great to have you with us. We are on the air until seven o'clock tonight. Notre Dame basketball gets the late night time slot tonight. Micah Shrewsbury's Fighting Irish down at Cameron Indoor Stadium to take on the Duke Blue Devils. 9 o'clock tip, 8.30 pregame, all the action right here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Coming up over the next couple of hours here on WSBT Radio, included in our hat trick of opening topics, we're going to talk about how the Irish running back room has some youthful guys once again that might be able to help out this team in 2024. Also coming up later on this hour, some topics involving new quarterback Riley Leonard, the Irish basketball team taking on Duke. Eric will offer a thought on a big game for the Notre Dame women's basketball team tomorrow night down in Louisville, a game that you can hear on Live 99.9. Also, we've got our Twitter question of the day results from yesterday and a brand-new question for today centered around Super Bowl 58. And then in the 6 o'clock hour, today's my five, the five things that you need to know about tonight's Duke-Notre Dame basketball game. I'll offer a little synopsis on where Notre Dame hockey stands right now, what happened last weekend against number 8 Michigan State, and our sports wagering segment we going to Sizzler, just 1-3 last night. We'll try to bounce back with three Notre Dame Duke picks tonight and also a selection on the actually, truly big game in the Big Ten tonight between Nebraska and Northwestern, two teams fighting for the top half in the Big Ten standings. But I've waited too long to say hello to Eric Hansen, my co-host for the 5 o'clock hour tonight. He had his chat earlier today at InsideNDSports.com and we will recap that chat Friday. Tomorrow is a Darren travel day with the Irish hockey team to Madison, Wisconsin and then Eric and I will be back together Friday at 5 o'clock. So we'll have that chat recap then and there were some really good questions today. I was fighting the last couple which one to go with. So really good day by the chatters at InsideNDSports.com. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. It's Stuns me how creative the people
3: that ask questions are because we've been in a really not a lot happening other than we've had some interviews, but not a lot of like new mm-hmm. hires happening recently, no transfer portal movement recently, and they come up with great questions. I I'm amazed and very spoiled.
2: Eric, very wisely today with the temperatures warming up, you got rid of the bare feet. Rule. I did the no bare feet rule. People could kick off their shoes.
3: I have to admit, there was one time I di- I did that when the rule was in effect.
2: I broke go. the rule. Okay, but nobody knows but you. Nobody knows but me. Nobody knows which chat that was. That's neither right. do I. And I'll and I'll tell you what. I did notice though the spelling Darren's name incorrectly rule was still alive today <laughs> on the chat. But that's okay. It was. Trust I can go back me. and fix that. No, that's okay. Trust me. When I go to fast food places, or get some food and pick it up, the variance of different spellings of my name is absolutely off the chart. There's like six or seven different ways. Well,
3: in in college, Hanson gets misspelled a lot because I, can see that. I think the O-N is more common. And there was a guy in my fraternity that spelled the word squirrel with a W in it. <laughs> Um, and so, of course, he got Hanson <laughs> wrong on my shirt. And everybody's like, I thought it was Ian. Well, guess who ordered the jerseys? It was Todd Michael. So
2: that's why it's misspelled. Gosh. Well, I've never understood that last name that I have. People will put ARD on the end. Oh, Pritchard. Pritchett. Yeah. Et. Et. Yeah. Et. I don't see where they get ARD. There was a good Colorado wide receiver, Denver Bronco wide receiver, Mike Pritchard. Back in the day, but I'm the ETT version.
3: And there's Gloria Pritchett from Modern Family.
2: That's exactly right. Yeah. (laughs) My life exposed on Modern Family. (laughs) 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 And Wes Pritchett. He spells it the right way as well. All right. All right, 513 at WSBT. Now I have visions in my head I can't get out that you use on your chat as a gif all the time. But anyway... Let's get to some topics as we kick off the program here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. How bizarre was it? The Modern Family Show. The, oh gosh, what was his name? The son that had the beard. The son, you mean,
3: of which, whose son? Of uh, Al Bundy's character. Oh, um. Yeah, it was uh, Cam
2: and... Uh, Cam. Well, Cam was the husband. That's who I was trying to think of. Cam was a former Illinois football player. So there you go. The Pritchett thing, Illinois thing, all just comes together perfectly. Okay. All right, now let's get to it. I want to talk Notre Dame football in this opening segment. The Irish football team last year, 27th in the country in rushing offense. They ended up at 186.7 yards per game, 5.28 yards per carry, and 28 touchdowns. That was helped out definitely by that last game. Audrick Estimate just bullying Stanford. But this was a terrific run game. You think about it, you've got a top 10 draft pick at left tackle. in Joe Alt, another great player, Blake Fisher at the right tackle spot. So the running game was really, really good last year. And we saw a guy like Love come in as a freshman and contribute right away to this football team, Eric, which brings me to this. There are two Notre Dame running backs coming in as freshmen this year. You've got Kedron Young, foot 217, and Aeneas Williams, not to be confused with the great former NFL cornerback with the same name, 5'10", 207. So here's another a couple of really good additions to the running back room. Eric, I'm wondering, do you feel like, a freshman running back could factor into what the Irish want to do with the running game this year, or is there just too much returning veteran depth for them to break through?
3: I think Young is the one guy that doesn't of those two that doesn't provide a redundant skill set. And I'm not saying he's necessarily better or will have the better career than Aeneas Williams, although if I had to draft, I would draft him first of those okay. two. Um, but he does have some Audric Estime kind of qualities to him. And he said, I had a chance to interview him last Friday, and he said, yeah, he gets that a lot, um, even though they're a little bit different. And they've texted uh, before, you know, 217 walking in the door at six foot, you know, he's probably going to get a little bit bigger than that. So he could be, I know they like to use Jabron Payne on third down, but I mean he could be a third and short, fourth and short kind of back. Um, he also has really good speed for a bigger back, so I could see when you look at Love, Price, Payne, Ford, him being a little bit different flavor there. I think Aeneas Williams gives you a lot of maybe what you get out of Price. Okay, um, and so. I'm not sure that he would be on the front burner right away, but he's
2: really good. We saw early last year the five-headed running back rotation. As the season went on, I think that got reduced with more roles being given to a couple of the guys. They just had certain roles they were used in. So you take a look at going into the spring, Eric. You've got Jeremiah Love, Jadarian Pray. Or excuse me, Jadarian Price, Jabron Payne, Devin Ford, Young, and Williams. Can you see all of those veteran players, and maybe I should focus in more on Payne and Ford, do you feel like they're going to have major roles on this team? Or maybe I should ask it in a different way. Will they have larger roles than they had last season with Estime out of the way? Not
3: necessarily because of Young, uh, I think Ford is going to end up being more of a special teams guy. He's also a really good pass blocker. You can use him on third down and because he can run the ball, because he can catch the ball, it's not a giveaway that they're going to throw on, on third down. W- where I think all of them get a little squeezed is if Riley Leonard is the number one quarterback, he's going to run the ball more. Yes, And so there's going to be fewer carries to give to the running backs and um, But again, maybe you're going to use them more in the passing game. You know, right now you say they're in a good spot in case there's an injury. You could redshirt Williams, for instance. You could, you know, play him enough, uh, you know, in the four games or less that he retains an extra season of eligibility. Somebody could decide after spring, you know what, there's not enough carries for me here. I'm going to the portal. Myself, you know, they lost Logan Diggs after the spring last year. And so um, we'll see how it plays out. But I don't think there is enough carries for six running backs to be happy next year. I think somebody will have to kind of get the back burner. And And you mentioned Payne and Ford specifically. I think Young will challenge Payne for the third down role, So Payne's yeah. going to have to get better. And, and, again, I think Ford, they're – are a lot of jobs for him on special teams, not just as a kickoff returner because he could get beat out by Jaden Harrison. Jadarian Price was one of the best kickoff returners in the country. Um, But he's good on coverage teams and so forth. And he seems happy just to be around the program and contributing in some way. This is a guy, when he hit the portal at Penn State, wasn't sure if he was going to play football ever again. So I don't think he's thinking this is a springboard yeah. of the NFL. Yeah,
2: It's really interesting to think back to last year. I don't think the Irish really miss Logan Diggs, and that's not a shot at him because he's a yeah. very talented running back, Eric, but it just showed you the depth they had in that running back room. I don't know if Logan truly just wanted to go back to Louisiana, kind of question that now because he's already left there and <laughs> yeah. gone to Ole Miss, or did he see the writing on the wall that it was going to be difficult for him to be the number one running back with Audric Estime still around these parts. Well, I I do think he missed Louisiana, and maybe when he got
3: back there, maybe that experience was a little overrated for him. True. When he put himself into the portal again, he acted like he wasn't sure why he was doing it. His tweet was very cryptic, and <laughs> he felt like he needed a leap of faith there. And I thought, well, you're the one that put your name in. Uh, and again, maybe losing Denbrock as the offensive coordinator, he felt like he lost an ally. With so much, yeah. you know, new people coming in, maybe just didn't feel as comfortable. But yeah, it's we're in a different world now, Darren. Oh, where people just
0: change come and go. Teams,
3: yeah, come and go
2: as they please.
3: Well, the read option, the, the people that want names on the back of the uniforms, they finally have a
2: case for it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> It'd be good for Under Armour. They're going to go through a lot of jerseys with all the way people are coming and going as well. But you would have to imagine with Mike Denbrock coming to South Bend and Riley Leonard as your assumed starting quarterback, the read option is going to be a major tool for this offense. And unlike past years with maybe a Jack Cohn or a Sam Hartman, when the quarterback put the ball in the belly of the running back, I think we all knew what was going to happen. The running back was going to get the football. Now all of a sudden, Eric – This is really a new dimension to this Fighting Irish offense as Riley Leonard can be a difference maker running the football, and I'm really excited to see what he can do down in the red zone. Red zone offense, I think it got a little better last year, but with Riley Leonard, if he throws the football better, that's a key, but his ability to run the football just seems like can be really an X factor for this Irish offense. You
3: think about the Ohio State fourth and one plays. Ugh. He's That's a first down oh. in both of those. I mean, he's six foot four. He's a bigger guy. I mean, he's not Tim, Tim Tebow-esque necessarily, but there is some elements to he that. His traits. He, he, he's, <laughs> I mean, he has that power running ability. Yeah. I mean, Ian Book was a really good runner. Brandon Wimbush was lightning fast runner. Um, Riley Leonard is really fast, but he's got that power and the ability to break tackles, which is really interesting. I, I can't wait to see that in Notre, with Notre Dame's personnel and with their offense. And everything that we're talking about, boy, Notre Dame's offensive line needs That's, to come along.
2: That's going to be so key in this. And that was going to be my follow-up. The running game will go as far as that offensive line continues to grow. And there's going to be... I'm sure some growing pains early on. You've got new guys getting new opportunities. Yeah. But with the way Notre Dame has recruited and with the way they have developed, it feels like there's a pretty good chance this will work out. Plus, you've got a pretty smart offensive coordinator to work around if there is an issue. Yeah. You know, they weren't um, a good run-blocking team last
3: year. Notre Dame's backs did a good job of what they got. It wasn't a consistent running team. Was it because of the interior mostly? I think so, absolutely. Wasn't I mean, they were tackle. the guys that got the lower <laughs> grades. But I will say this, Shrouth and Craig at the end of the year were run-blocking pretty well. Okay. Emil Wagner in a smaller sample size is the best run-blocker that they have. Um, but again, it's a small sample size. Was he going against really good teams in meaningful downs? No, he was playing later in games against maybe number twos. Uh, But he graded out very well, and I think he's got a chance to be really good. But that's going to have to be an emphasis this offseason is the run blocking. And I'm really curious to see what Joe Rudolph does with the entire offseason, not a guy coming in late and trying to figure everybody out. Now he knows the personnel. Let's see what he can do with a full year.
2: Eric Hansen, Darren Pritchett with you. Budweiser's Weekday sports beat on WSBT Radio, our second of three. Hat trick of opening topics. This goes back a couple of days, but recently the Fighting Irish lost a member of the class of 2025, the young man from Alabama, defensive lineman C.J. May. I think he surprised everyone when he picked Notre Dame following the Ohio State game, Eric. And based on what you guys reported at insidendsports.com, it seems like one of the in-state Alabama schools maybe has caught his attention based on his visits recently. Yeah, he's visited Auburn a lot. We had Tom Wemming on our podcast
3: last week, long-time recruiting analyst, and he goes, keep an eye on C.J. May. <laughs> and that was before he did. He just felt like that was a guy Notre Dame was going to have to babysit. That It is difficult, and, and he, he mentioned Deuce Knight as well, because of the geography and because of the schools that are in that area and the allure of those schools to kids that grow up in Alabama and Mississippi, there's not a sure. long history of Alabama and Mississippi guys on Notre Dame's roster. They've had some, but there's not a lot of them. And so um, I think, you know, in terms of how big of a loss this is, he's a three star player. I think he's a lot better than that. And yet Notre Dame has a lot of other options this early, and I think they're going to be – they've done – Al Washington's done a really good job in this cycle of getting other players. I think they're going to be fine without C.J. May. But, I, I mean, really good player. You'd much rather have him than lose him, but there are some very good options.
2: Less than 50% chance, no, I'm not asking Bob Knight this question, fortunately, or I'd get the decimal points, but less than 50% chance Al Washington is a finalist for the BC head coaching job? I don't think Al Washington going to BC is going to happen. Okay.
3: I, I think they're, I mean, Bill O'Brien has been the rumored candidate or rumored front runner, and I, I think he showed up for work at Ohio State, and Ryan Day's playing that down. Uh, so we'll see where that goes. But I, I don't think it's going to end up being Al Washington. I think it's somebody they had some interest in. They said, hey, let's bet this he's a grad, and you know he's got a connection to the school. And But I think they probably would want somebody that's been a coordinator at least to take that job.
2: Gosh, remember, this has been a decade ago. Colorado State was interested in one of their alums, Tony Alford, yeah. Notre Dame running back coach, didn't get the job, and – Never has resurfaced again at Colorado State. And having a lot of fun at Ohio State as their running back coach. Yes. That's like being a head coach, having the running back job at Ohio State. He's got some amazing talent to work with year in and year out. So, C.J. May over the weekend decommits from the class of 2025. Still 13 members of that class. Still ranked number one in the country, of course. You can follow recruiting at InsideIndieSports.com. Eric's website.
3: top. Target making his decision tomorrow that may pick Notre Dame, and that's Owen Streebig the oh, big yeah. offensive tackle from Wisconsin. So that's tomorrow. So we'll know tomorrow at five if it's back up to fourteen.
2: We're assuming this is going to be good news based on the visits. I think it will be. Tyler
3: James has put in a future cast. That's what we call it. we don't have um the crystal ball. We don't or- have the crystal ball or tarot cards or <laughs> um the Ouija
2: board. So we just call it Future Cast. You don't have the Johnny Carson envelopes?
3: Uh, Or Miss Cleo. (laughs) (laughs) For $1.99 a minute or whatever it was.
2: Uh, I was going to joke when you called Tom Lemming, did you have to call a 1-900 number? (laughs) I guess those days are past. Okay, final (laughs) opening topic. Let's go down memory lane for a second. Two Notre Dame players are going to be participating in Super Bowl 58. Drew Tranquil, who signed with the Kansas City Chiefs during the offseason, he has been terrific for Kansas City. And then you've got starting left guard Eric Aaron Banks for the San Francisco 49ers. So, Eric, what do you remember about their Notre Dame recruitment and their careers with the Fighting Irish? Let's start on the defensive side side of the football and drew tranquil fought a lot of injuries but i'll tell you what he's overcome all those at notre dame and he's prospered in the nfl eric i wonder with all the aches and pains he had at notre dame how long he'd last in the nfl he's got a chance to win a ring and be a big part of that chief's defense on sunday he's one of my
3: favorites that i've ever covered and his story is kind of tells the reason why you know he was a guy that wanted to play college baseball. And he hurt his back. And so a lot of teams kind of were cold on him. He was a three-star prospect out of Fort Wayne. Kind of cool on him because they thought, well, this guy's going to play college baseball. Um, And then he hurt his back. And I don't know why hurting your back excludes you from (laughs) baseball, but not from football. but. He did explain it to me. He's just smarter than me, so I didn't get it. But uh, he ended up being a guy Brian Kelly had an infatuation with, not the rest of the staff. I asked Brian Kelly, who's the guy that in your time at Notre Dame, and this was after Drew had played for a while, who was the guy that you had to stand on the table and bang the table for to get? And it was Drew Tranquil. And the staff goes, what position he's going to play? He goes, I don't know, but I want him on my team. Hmm. And so Brian got his way. They signed Drew Tranquil. They poached him out of Purdue's class. And Brian Van Gorder was the defensive coordinator at the time. And so he was a safety. He tore his ACL late in his freshman year, 2014. Finished that game with a torn ACL. Then he comes back next year. And he's in game three, and he's a safety then, and he breaks up a pass in the end zone, jumps up in the end zone to celebrate with a teammate, and tears his ACL.
2: I was 10 feet from him. Wow. I was doing the sideline reporting that game. I was filling in for Jeff Jeffers at that time, and I was right there. He jumped up to celebrate, came down, and you could just hear the scream immediately. I mean, it was just devastating knowing what he had just gone through. I'll never forget that scream. And it was just a simple little chest bump, one of those simple things you see every day. Right. Well, on the field, not at work or in the grocery store, but you see the chest bumps all the time in football games. So just bizarre that that happened. So they get into
3: 2016, and Notre Dame's safeties are getting torched that year. And Brian Van Gorder gets fired four games into the season. And Drew will stays healthy, kind of plays out the string. And it just feels like I remember talking, Mike Elko comes in, and I remember talking to Mike Elko, and I said, what do you think about the safeties you have here? And he goes, the kid, um, Alohi Gilman, that's going to transfer here, he goes, he's the best safety on campus. I go, really? He goes, there's nothing here. Um, wow. Wow. Drew Tranquil, I said, what about Drew Tranquil? And he said, well, we're thinking about using him at the rover position. They had this new rover position, yeah. and um, he said he'd be perfect for it. We're recruiting a kid. You know, We recruited a kid named Jeremiah Usu koromoa that, <laughs> <laughs> <yeah, laughs> that we think is going to – Whatever happened to him. That we think is going to be perfect for the role, but wow. uh, G- Drew's going to get the first chance to be this role, and he described what the role was. And it was much more of a safety linebacker hybrid role in the Elko-Lee time here than it has been in the Marcus Freeman-Al Golden time. But Drew Tranquil was really good at it. And then you're like, well, you know, they really don't have the rover in on NFL teams. It's just there's a few teams kind of looking at that concept. And then Clark Lee took over and he said – If Drew comes back for a fifth year, we'll let him play inside, and try to become an NFL prospect. And he did, and he was a linebacker on a playoff team. And I remember talking to Brian Kelly. This was probably the last time we did our 20 questions with Brian Kelly. And I said, "Who's the player that changed everything for you in the Brian Kelly?" Who is the? And he goes, "Drew Tranquil." How about that? Didn't even hesitate. He was the guy when they went from 2016 to 2017, when they went from the four and eight year to the renaissance and the new Brian Kelly and the new staff, he was the guy that wouldn't let anybody go backwards, that wouldn't let anybody quit, that wouldn't let anybody doubt. He was the guy that stirred it in the locker room and and did it on the field too. I mean, a guy that changed positions twice and was a leader, I mean – Drew Tranquil, I'm so happy for him that this has worked out because he deserves every bit of it.
2: And in the AFC Championship game, one of his responsibilities was to spy on Ravens quarterback, Lamar Jackson. I mean, think about that. That just shows you the athleticism, being able to read plays. Tranquil was a big part of the Chiefs winning that game. I don't think we're going to have as dramatic a story (laughs) about Aaron Banks he picked Notre Dame and he was really, really good. And he's still really, really good.
3: He was really, really good. And early on in when he was a freshman, early enrollee, we saw him at tackle a lot. And then he That's ended right. up moving inside and playing guard and was really good, was an all-American guard. And then the question became can they tempt Aaron Banks with letting asking him to come back for another year and, and a fifth year? And being the left tackle, and his answer was no. <laughs> I'll be a second-round draft choice. Heck yeah! And be another Harry H- He stand success story, and he did. And and but it would have been interesting to see if he had played left tackle in college. What that last year for him would have been like. Uh, but really good player,
2: and um, he was good from the moment he walked in the door. All right, tranquil. Or Banks, one of the two, will have a Super Bowl ring. If the Chiefs, in Tranquil's case, or the 49ers, in Banks' case, win Super Bowl 58, you can hear it on WSBT Radio. If you're out and about, we've got the game for you. 6.30 kickoff here on WSBT Radio. We'll come back with more conversation with Eric in just a moment. 5.35 on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
0: (laughs)
1: football coverage continues now what's the score the nothing nothing who's winning the bears co-hosting this hour is the publisher of InsideNDSports.com, eric hansen he was bad at clay he bad at sugar ray he bad at now who that, you, the new boy had. Mike, mike look like a bulldog he bad at him too here's your host darren preach i don't know who that is
2: 541 at Sports Radio 960 WSBT, along with Eric Hansen. I am the guy, I don't know who he is, Darren Pritchett. We've got plenty more to get to, including right now, I've just got some various topics we're going to kick around here in segment two for Budweiser's Weekday sports beat on this Wednesday. Okay, first thing I want to ask you about, we've met. Some new Notre Dame football players in a media session last Friday. One of those, quarterback Riley Leonard. Eric, your big takeaway from hearing from Riley Leonard talk about this famous surgery that he had a couple of weeks ago.
3: Yeah, so um, Tyler James mentioned this, and I I think it's worth repeating, Uh, the the you have to go up quite a few steps to come up. I guess you could come up the elevator to do the interviews. And Riley Leonard bounded up the steps, you know, I think to show us how healthy he was. And, um, you know, I mean, he was very straightforward. I mean, he wasn't squirrely about anything, squirrely with a QU about anything. Um, Todd Michael, um, <laughs> that, uh, um, about his injury, you know, he mentioned that um, the reason that he didn't have the surgery till he got to Notre Dame was, you know, they wanted to see how the injury healed. And when he got to Notre Dame and he had his physical, he said, they thought, you know what, there's probably more of a risk of re-injury or instability with this. If you don't have the surgery, we can do this telescope surgery. It's going to be a very short turnaround recovery time. And he said, let's do it. And so that was that. So he is going to be 100% for spring, and he's able to do quite a bit right now already.
2: Besides the surgery conversation, I thought it was really interesting, and he did not elaborate, nor should he, but he mentioned how he had spent some time conversing with Sam Hartman, who went through this same process last year. Same transfer process, not telescope surgery. Excuse me. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. The same transfer process. And I can only imagine the conversations that they had because Sam was on top of the world the first month and then things went downhill. And again, not all on Sam's shoulders to say the least. And I wonder if Sam says, wait a minute. I got Jared Parker and you got Mike Denbrock. Wait a minute. Wait, what did I do tonight get Mike Denbrock out of this?
0: Yeah.
3: <laughs> well, I think they had some good conversations. Certainly Riley Leonard researched Notre Dame and talked to a lot of people. The thing that I thought was the element that I didn't see coming was how impressed he was with Notre Dame's defense and how important it was not only that they were a good defense, but who was coming back from that defense. And he said that Howard Cross still owes him dinner, and he's picked (laughs) out the place uh, for landing on his ankle in the Duke-Notre Dame game.
2: Hmm. But that
3: was important to him.
2: He watched a lot of Rudy, too, so he understood a lot of things. (laughs) Rudy tells the whole story, right? Stadium's a little bigger now compared to – what it was during the Rudy game or the movie being made here at Notre Dame stadium, five forty-four at WSBT. So Riley will be ready to rock and roll for spring practice, which should start early March ballpark. Yeah.
3: I mean, they, they have the, you know, the, the option always is do we start and then stop for spring break and then restart. And last year, I think they would have done that, but because of the, Coaching changes late in the cycle. They went for a later start date and then compressed it in a very small window. I think they're kind of waiting to see what goes on with Al Golden. I'm not saying that he's leaving. I think he's coming back, but until the coaching carousel stops, you can't be 100% convinced that nothing is going to happen because it looked like you know Tommy Reese was going to stay and then. The NFL carousel pulled Bill O'Brien, which pulled Tommy Reese out of Notre Dame going to Alabama.
2: I bet you in Tommy's world he doesn't see it as a step back going from Alabama offensive coordinator to Cleveland Browns tight end coach and pass game specialist because I think this gets him a step closer to his ultimate goal of being an offensive coordinator in the NFL. Right. So this is probably just fine with him. Just fine. Okay. Notre Dame men's basketball. They got another game tonight. They're going to Cameron Indoor Stadium. Have you ever been there? I have not. Okay. Well, the Irish – I was –
3: they were in the Big East when I covered – That's how long ago it was when I covered Notre Dame men's basketball.
2: Didn't know, maybe following Indiana or somewhere along the way.
3: I I have not been there. Okay, all right. Been to a lot of arenas in Carolina, but not that
2: one. We've heard reporters talk about they left the game with blue and white paint on their shirts and their jackets because the Cameron Crazies are right on top of the media. Well, it's the Irish and the Blue Devils tonight at 9 o'clock. The one thing about the Irish, they have been – a pretty strong defensive team throughout the year, which has allowed them to play a lot of close games. It's not been enough to overcome a lot of offensive deficiencies on this team, but I think the defense has allowed them to have a fighter's chance most nights, including against Duke. Duke shot below 40% from the field against the Irish back on January 6th. Duke only won by eight points against the Irish, but here's the thing. It feels like, and statistically it's starting to show, that defense is starting to regress. Eric, during the six-game losing streak, the Irish, their points per game being allowed has gone up. It's up to 66 points per game the last six, which still isn't bad. But when your offense is anemic as the Irish's, 66, that's an awfully difficult number to get to. But here's the thing. The three-point line, Notre Dame has not defended it well the last six games. The opposition is shooting 43% from the three-point line. So no defense to me, no chance with the lack of offensive efficiency of this Notre Dame basketball team. So, Eric, I mean, 43% from three, giving that up. That is going to lead to a lot of losses, and they've lost – Both of their games on the road the last week by double digits. And now you get the Dukies, Eric, coming off a loss to Carolina. So they might be laser-focused tonight, and the Irish might be in the wrong place at the wrong time. We know about rivalry games. When you lose to Carolina that next game, you're probably going to be extra motivated to get the job done. So we'll see what Micah's team can do. But this I have a bad feeling about tonight. I'll
3: tell you, I'm looking at their statistical profile right now. There's 351 teams, I believe, in Division One. They are in the 300s in a bunch of pretty critical categories. 345 in scoring offense, 331 in field goal percentage, 313 in three-point percentage, 333 in free throws made per game, 343 in assist-to-turnover ratio. Yeah, that's been a problem. I mean, that's... There's the one shining one shining moment on their stat sheet is scoring defense 38th and field goal percentage defense 59th. So what that's is their points
2: making, per game being 38th in the country? They are 65.5. That's okay. 38th. All right. Well, it's going to be tough to keep Duke down tonight, I have a feeling. They kept him to 67 at Purcell Pavilion in early January, but Duke just... Could not score the basketball at the normal pace that they do. Carolina has actually a really good defense this year. The tempo of that game was pretty high. Duke did score 84 against the Tar Heels at the Dean Dome the other night. And how about Carolina? Only the second time Clemson has ever won in Chapel Hill last night. I think they're 2-60 and 60 now. Wow. Clemson taking on North Carolina. So that has been a house of horrors. The Dean Dome and then... I can't remember the name of the old gym they used to play in, but Connor O'Neill, who covers Duke and Wake Forest, he was talking about the Duke-Clemson game. And I mentioned this. I can't remember the name of the arena, but you know what I remember about that Carolina old arena? And you might recall this, Carmichael? Carmichael, yes. They had those man-made scoreboards in the corner of the arena. They had like... You know how you had in middle school? You had the little numbers you could mm-hmm. flip over to keep score? They had those oh, wow. in the corner as a kid. I don't know why I remember that. But it's the only place I could remember where they kept score manually like that on the side of the court. I don't understand why you would do that, but maybe it was just tradition at North Carolina. Who knows? All right, Duke and Notre Dame tonight, nine o'clock tip, eight thirty pregame on WSBT Radio. Neil Ivy's team has a massive game. At Louisville tomorrow night, 6 o'clock start, 5.45 pregame on our sister station, live, 99.9. Eric, if the Irish want to have a chance to, at the very least, share the ACC crown down the line, isn't this a pretty much—let me start over. This is pretty much a must-win game for the Irish to achieve those goals. Yeah, they need to have a good stretch. I don't
3: think they have to be undefeated in the eight— Games they have left, but they need to have, are, you know, at minimum five and three, if not six and two. The good news for Notre Dame is all these teams are playing each other. There are nine teams projected in the field right now, into the NCAA nine bracketology. Times.
0: Nine times. And nine the teams
3: times. at the <laughs> yeah, the teams at the top. Um, Virginia Tech is a half a game in front of everybody, and then. You have a bunch of teams with two losses. Notre Dame has three. So they're one game back in the loss column. But they're all playing each other. Syracuse, Notre Dame, Virginia Tech, NC State. NC State is ranked third. Mm. Uh, North Carolina's up there. Uh, Florida State, who they play on the road on Sunday, has four losses. Duke, who they play Monday on the 18th. So they're playing Louisville twice here. In the last eight games, they have Virginia Tech left. They have NC State left. So this is going to determine who Notre Dame is, not just in the ACC tournament, but in the NCAA tournament. They are five in the latest bracketology, which is much lower than their net ranking. But they are defining themselves. Who is Notre Dame? Notre Dame is Sonia Citron on the team. They played a lot of games without her. They played seven and a half weeks without her. They played with some other missing pieces. Obviously, they're not getting Olivia Miles back. I would kind of be surprised if Cass Prosper came back at this point, knowing that she Mm. could redshirt if she doesn't come back. So this is kind of your team now, and they're kind of finding their stride. And so they need to get into that top four seeds to host, and that's going to be important. So these games will test them. But Virginia Tech is really the only one of them that really grates at what their weakness has been in terms of offensive, getting offensive rebounds against them and and getting beat bad on the boards. That's the team of those that I think is the scariest matchup for them. NC State is the best team of them. Louisville is so weird because they're not the Louisville that you think of because Haley Van Lith transferred to LSU. So they're way down near the bottom in three points attempted, three points made per game. They are not that team. And you kind of look at their stats and say, how are they winning? They don't have a lot of great wins. Hmm. They got beat by UConn by 24 points. Um, They've also lost Alabama. They've not played the better teams in the ACC except for Syracuse, and they beat them. Hmm. So it'll be a good game but I think this is a winnable game for Notre Dame.
2: A lot of conferences, I would assume a majority of sports leagues – they use a computer to put together the schedule. It feels like the ACC women's basketball schedule was put together by a human because there are some massive games involving the best teams coming up over the next couple of weeks. Right. They knew what they were doing.
3: They, there is a genius.
2: Give that person a raise. <laughs> That's right. All right. So I you bet could, it was Muffet McGraw. It was might like, have play been play all the good ones at the end. That's right. While she was just posing for her statue being created, <laughs> she probably just put it together. All right. We have the Irish and Louisville tomorrow night. Six o'clock tip on our sister station live 99.9. Nine. Twitter question of the day coming up next. He's Eric. I'm Darren. Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on WSBT.
1: This is the Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
2: I'm Darren Pritchett. He is Eric Hansen, the publisher and editor at InsideIndieSports.com. Sports.com. Each weekday on my Twitter X account at 960 Sportsbeat, I ask you our Sportsbeat Twitter question of the day. So yesterday I asked you this. If Notre Dame basketball is not playing, what games are you most likely to watch? I gave you two choices because I wanted to narrow this down. Choice number one... ACC games so you're going to stick with Notre Dame's conference or choice number two you likely watch Big Ten games I think it's a relevant question because Notre Dame plays in the ACC but they are smack dab in the middle of the Big Ten conference although with all the teams on the west coast I don't know what the middle is anymore of the Big Ten but it's kind of in the the base of the Big Ten so to speak I mean, heck, St. Joe County is full of Indiana, Purdue, and Michigan fans. So this is a really, I think, unique situation. So what games are you most likely to watch? Now, you have so much time focused on football even this time of the year. I'm not sure how much basketball you get to watch, but if you're in a spot, Notre Dame's not playing, which direction do you go, ACC or Big Ten? Yeah, and I watch women's basketball because that's, that's what right. I'm covering.
3: Um, uh, for me, this was easy. Big Ten games. I would watch a Big Ten men's game over an ACC men's game. I think the teams are just more interesting and the coaches are more interesting. ACC has taken three or four steps back. They have. I can remember as, like a college student and a somebody in my twenties, loving the ACC. You know, I couldn't get enough of basketball to watch, and I loved the ACC. I mean, you know, when it was. North Carolina and North Carolina State. North Carolina State used to be like my favorite team. I liked anybody that would beat UCLA during their <laughs>
2: dynasty. Yeah,
3: so right. I liked the Monty Tao, David Thompson team, Tim Stoddard. I liked that NC State team. A
2: decade later, Jim Valvano and
3: that I loved with the amazing run. Oh, we were run. watching that game. Yeah, that was. Uh, it was Lorenzo Charles that the dunk. Up. Yeah, and Billy Packer. Derek he won. Lindenburg. He won it on the yeah. dunk. Yeah. I mean, I can remember those names
2: this long ago. Yeah, the ACC was amazing. Wasn't there nine teams? Because when I was a kid, they only had eight or nine teams, if I remember correctly. I believe you're right. I remember North Carolina had the four
3: corners offense with Bill yes. Ford before they had the shot clock.
2: <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, I, I feel the same way now. I grew up in Big Ten country. You did, too. so. Oh, I like to watch the Big Ten, too. Yeah. Yep. But, but I think... The Big Ten has better
3: personalities. I think they have better teams than the ACC right now. The ACC just really has kind of lost its basketball identity, which I thought didn't think was possible.
2: It's still Duke and North Carolina, and then everybody just kind of gets dragged along. I mean, Virginia, I guess we should compliment them on their success yeah, under Tony Bennett. When- they won a championship.
3: Yeah, but remember when Wake was really good? I mean, you know, I know this is going back some, but, I mean, Chris Paul, Tim Duncan. I mean, um, Georgia Tech had some great teams. Oh, yeah. Florida State had Lethal teams. Lethal Weapon 3, Georgia yeah, Tech had Miami, in the late 80s. Even Miami recently. it's just Final four. It's just really kind of. So Micah should feel good that he can be upwardly mobile in subsequent years.
2: Eric, the state of ACC basketball is relying on the state of ACC football.
3: Yeah. Is
2: the ACC going to stay together?
3: (laughs) Well, I had somebody in the um, chat today
2: that proclaimed the ACC was donezo. I mean, eventually, I wouldn't be shocked. I don't think it's going to happen right away. It's going to be interesting to see how the Florida State wanting to leave, move, whether it happens or not. Here's my thing. I don't know who wants Florida State. They may want out, but they might may not have a landing spot, Eric. Well, and
3: again, I think the other teams are looking to see, okay, what? let them pay all the lawyers right now, and then we'll Heck see yeah. if there's a path. If they want to get out, if somebody wants them, I think, you know, Notre Dame has that legal obligation to the ACC right now because the chat person asking the question, felt Notre Dame should urgently join the SEC or the Big Ten. Well, They're not going to the can't, SEC. They can't right now join either of those because of the l- legal stuff they'd have to do to get out of the ACC. But that Florida State may... You know, provide that path. We'll see, but there's no reason to move right now.
2: No, Notre
3: Dame is the team everybody wants right now. As long as their football brand is strong, they're gonna. Teams are. Conferences are gonna want them, so they don't have to rush into a decision.
2: The Big Ten will have that seat sitting there as long as they can. Yep, they'll wait until. The answer is no, 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 no.
3: Yeah,
2: it's just kind of no, 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 no right now. Right. So when the door officially closes, then they'll give it to somebody else. Until then, you cannot give away that twentieth seat if you're the Big Ten. Yeah. Until Notre Dame has a final landing spot. Well, final in quotation marks. Until the next year when things will probably change once again. And I mean Stanford, Cal. SMU coming to the ACC, they're just trying to protect. They have to have so many members to keep that media deal yeah. alive. So if people, two, three teams leave, they have some insurance right now. Otherwise, my gosh, why do you want those teams? It's a headache for Olympic sports. It is. That's Even the disaster. Even Stanford
3: is really good at all those sports. But the I,
2: traveling. I know, I know. These teams don't charter, like football yeah. and basketball. The baseball teams... The gymnastic teams, they fly commercial. Yeah. So it's just going to be a headache. Oh, anyway, the results. 47% said they would watch ACC games when Notre Dame is not playing. 53% went with <laughs> Big Ten games. One person did say, if Notre Dame was good and competitive, I'd watch more ACC games. But because Notre Dame being down, they'd watch Big Ten games, okay. which makes a lot of sense. Sure. Okay, now we go to... Today's question, our Sportsbeat, InsideIndySports.com, Twitter question of the day, which you can find at 960Sportsbeat. So according to Las Vegas, the Kansas City Chiefs are a two-point underdog against the San Francisco 49ers in Super Bowl 58. Putting aside the spread, who do you really believe is the underdog? Because this has been questioned. So who is the underdog? The Chiefs? Or the 49ers, because the Chiefs have the Super Bowl titles recently. They've got Patrick Mahomes. The Niners haven't won a Super Bowl since the mid-90s. They've got Brock Purdy. So there is an assumption of some that really the Chiefs are the favorites. So which direction do you want to go? It's uh, there, a toss-up.
3: It really is. I mean, it, are you asking who I would bet on if I had to no. bet a penny? Okay. No, no
2: spread. Just who do you think is the underdog? Who well, do you expect think, to lose, uh, I guess?
3: Uh, okay, well, that's... You can look at it that okay, way. Okay, who I would expect the Chiefs to win. Okay. However, uh-huh. I believe that uh, Vegas uh-huh. is good at, uh-huh. you know, setting the... I'll let them say who the underdog is. I'm not... I'm, don't feel like I need to pose that. So you're going to go with the experts. As far as who should be the yes. underdog, but I'm not saying the underdog won't win.
2: Okay, so you're voting for the Chiefs.
3: I If you said <laughs> who will win the game, if that's how it was phrased... I would say I do think the Kansas City Chiefs will win. Todd Michael, I need your help right now. <laughs> <laughs> so the reason we why this is legendary is because Todd in shaving cream um where's this going? The spelled out on the wall, Barry is a squirrel and spelled it S K W I R R E L. So we immediately knew who did it. <laughs>
2: Did he get an Ohio State degree? He did. Wow, he overcame <laughs> He, he wow. did. Which is why <laughs> the reputation
3: is what it is. Oh um, gosh, that's God terrific. Bless him.
2: Okay, so anyway, Eric went with the Chiefs. What do you say who is really the underdog in the Super Bowl, the Chiefs or the 49ers? Rocky the squirrel, heck, I don't know at this point. Just go to my Twitter X account at 960 Sportsbeat. We'll let this Twitter question run for two days. And when we're back on the air Friday, we will have the results, I hope. All right, now let's move along to all the wonderful things you will find when y'all go to InsideIndieSports.com. That is Eric's Enterprise as part of the Rivals Network. So what you will find is today's chat
3: transcript. I had a live chat earlier today. Uh, Charleston did a recruiting story about uh, the battles that will be coming up for the 2025 class. Uh, Tyler has a feature on Anthony Knapp, new offensive lineman. We're going to have lots of content late this week, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday on the defensive newcomers. We had offensive newcomers. If you missed those stories, go back because we Wrote about CJ Carr, Riley Leonard, Chris Mitchell, all those guys, and of course, much, much more.
2: I can think of college. I had a friend who's now a sports talk show host in Memphis. Mm -hmm. He could put his hand on a table and he could take his elbow, the bone, he could reverse it to the other side of his arm. Oh, I can't do that. Nor can many. (laughs) Nor would you want to. Yeah, no, I wouldn't. Every time he did, I just about lost my lunch not a pretty sight could he spell squirrel I, I think he probably could i'm assuming that is a deaf because we are great scholars at siu edwardsville despite you laughing at that we have some great sportscasters across the country all right i've kept you too long it's 6 10 enjoy the rest of your evening and we will talk to you friday as you will be here and i will be in madison wisconsin at the cole center what Sounds was the great. name of the old Badger Arena that you probably went to with Coach Yoder? Oh, god. What was the name of that place? I don't remember. I can't think of it either. All well, right. I'll have to Google it. Later. Google. Google has the answers. All right. Second hour sports speech starts at a moment. We've got a sports update on the way from Sports Radio 960, WSBT.
1: A Michiana tradition continues. Welcome to Budweiser's weekday sports beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
2: Twenty-one minutes after six o'clock, this is Budweiser's weekday sports beat, brought to you by our title sponsor, Budweiser, the king of beers. Locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Sports fans, this buds for you by First State Bank lending strength to our communities by devoting ourselves to helping local businesses Grow and prosper. By Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, now with three locations, serving Michiana's most favorite pizza since 1978. Midland Engineering Company, beginning their second century of quality roofing experience. By the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. And by Bethel University's Adult and Graduate Studies. Visit betheluniversity.edu. Solid ground for details. Well, if you are a fan of ESPN's College Game Day, a staple for so many to start your college football Saturdays, they are adding quite a presence to their show next year. Today they have announced that former Alabama head coach Nick Saban is joining ESPN College Game Day. As an analyst, he'll also be a part of ESPN's coverage of the NFL Draft, SEC Media Days. But Nick Saban, after an amazing career, the GOAT of college football coaches, he'll stay a part of your college football Saturdays. But not beating your team now. He'll just be talking about your team on ESPN College Game Day.
1: One question, five answers. This is the My 5 Questions of the Day on Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
2: All right, let's attack this question today. What are the five things that you might want to know about the matchup between Duke and Notre Dame at Cameron Indoor Stadium tonight? Once again, you can hear the game on WSBT Radio. Pre-game coverage, 8.30. Opening tip is set for 9 o'clock. Ladies and gentlemen, this is number five. Let's start with the fact that the Dukies have actually lost a couple of games at home this year. Under Coach K, for so many reasons, it was difficult to win there. One of the major reasons, (laughs) the officiating. But Duke had some awesome teams. That's the main reason, but the officiating didn't help. Well, Duke has lost two games at Cameron already this year. They lost to a really good Arizona team back in November at Cameron, 78-73. And then after beating Pittsburgh at Pitt about a week before, the teams played again at Cameron, and Pittsburgh stunned the Blue Devils 80-76. So it's not like they are absolutely invincible at home. But here comes the but. The but is this. Notre Dame has not played well on the road. They have just one true road victory so far this year. They are 1-6 on the road. And on the previous two games on this three-game road trip, they lost by 12 to the Virginia Cavaliers and 10 to the Pitt Panthers. And now you go to one of the more intimidating places in college basketball, Cameron Indoor Stadium. It's going to be a tough, tough challenge for this team that just fights it offensively. And Eric gave you the stats a couple of moments ago. I mean, across the board in the bottom 50 in almost all offensive categories. If Notre Dame plays average defense tonight, it could really get away from them. Four. Just looking at Duke this year, you think of bounce back moments. How do teams respond to losing? And I bring this up because Duke lost to their arch rival, North Carolina, in Chapel Hill over the weekend. They lost by nine. They do not like losing to North Carolina. So this just seems like the ultimate bounce-back game for Duke. They might be extra ticked off after losing to the Heels. And Notre Dame might be the wrong team at the wrong time playing at Cameron tonight. But it's not like Duke has been awesome this year coming off a loss. When they lost to Arizona, they played Michigan State. I'm as big of a Tom Izzo fan as there is. But this is a down Michigan State team. And Duke beat Michigan State, but it was competitive 74-65. They lost back-to-back games earlier this year. I don't know how they lost to Arkansas. They did 80-75. Pig Suey has been an absolute mess since. They followed up the loss to the Razorbacks by losing at Georgia Tech, 72-68. I mean, Georgia Tech is a weird team. They have beaten Duke and North Carolina at home where they can't beat anybody else. So following those two losses, they beat an okay Charlotte team. It was an 80-56 Duke win. And then after losing to Pittsburgh, 80-76, they played a bad Louisville team and only won by 14. That doesn't seem like a big margin considering the state of Louisville basketball. So this is a bounce-back game for Duke. I worry about that, but then I look at the numbers, and it's not like they have just absolutely came out and torched an opponent after a loss. Hopefully that's a good sign for the Fighting Irish.
1: Okay, okay. Uh,
2: number three. Five things to know about tonight's Duke-Notre Dame basketball game. The Irish have Marcus Burton ready to go, and the Penn grad has scored in double figures in every game but two this year. He has scored in double figures in... In 14 straight games. I mean, truly, where would they be without his creativity on the offensive end? During the team's six game losing streak, Burton has scored 98 points. He's averaging 16 points in those six games. Now, turnovers have been an issue. When they played the three game stretch at BC, home against Miami, home against BC, Burton had 20 turnovers. In those three games, including a high of eight. Here's the good news. The last two games, the turnovers have decreased significantly. Against Virginia, three. Against Pittsburgh, a road game, Burton had zero. That's a good sign because that's been the one thing that has hurt Burton this year are his turnovers. Now, we also have to say... He's got a lot on his shoulders trying to carry this offense because there just isn't enough offensive talent on this year's team. So he's got to be extra creative, and that's going to lead to probably a couple more turnovers than you would expect. He's going for it. He's a freshman, but you're starting to see him evolve. Let's see how he handles the atmosphere of Cameron Indoor Stadium tonight. But Marcus Burton, again, think about this team without Marcus Burton. Number two. Well, Duke scores from everywhere. You can't just focus on one guy because they've got five guys at all times that can really hurt you offensively. They've got the seven-footer, Kyle Filipowski, averaging 17.7 points per game. How good is Duke? How much depth do they have? He has not been the team's leading scorer the last five games. The last time he led the team in scoring – He had a 30-burger against Georgia Tech on January 13th. Because you've got Jeremy Roach averaging 14.3 points per game. He had 16 to lead Duke in the victory over Virginia Tech. Jared McCain, 12.9 points per game. Leading scorer in three of the last five Duke games had 20 against Pitt, 21 against Clemson, and 23 in the loss to Carolina. Mark Mitchell averaging 12.4 points per game. Led the team with 21 against Syracuse January 2nd. And Tyrese Proctor averaging 10 a game. He had 24 at Louisville on January the 23rd. The Irish defense will have quite the challenge. They held Duke to 67 in the first meeting tonight. The Irish are going to have to pick up that defensive intensity. It has slipped the last few games.
1: Number one.
2: And the number one thing to know about Notre Dame Duke tonight, that first meeting was at Purcell Pavilion January 6th. The Dukies won 67-59. Nobody shot the ball well. Duke, 35.6% from the field. They were 8 of 26 from the three-point line at 30.8%. Notre Dame that day shot 39%. They were 5 of 19 from three, 26%. Marcus Burton led the Irish with 18 points, but he did need 21 shots from the field to get to that total. And Shrewsbury was the only other player in double figures. Braden had 12. He knocked down four of seven three-point shots. Again, the stat I gave you last night, last six games, Notre Dame is allowing the opposition to shoot 43% from the three-point line. Can't happen tonight. Too much talent on this Duke team. If you give them open threes, it's going to be a long night. All right, pregame coverage in two hours. Opening tip at 9 o'clock here on Sports Radio 960, WSBT.
1: Leading off on Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Don't you guys go anywhere. Plan to put on a hitting display. The center fielder. That
0: boy's good.
1: Number nine. Nine times.
0: Nine times.
1: Nine times. West League champion. Adios! Walk off home run, Eloy Jimenez, who prefers to cheer for the birds on a bat. Adios! Goodbye, and maybe that's a winner. Here's Darren Pritchett.
2: Welcome back to Sports beat 638 at nine sixty a.m. WSBT, streaming live at WSBTRadio.com and on the free WSBT Radio app. The Irish hockey team getting set to head off to Madison, Wisconsin for a two-game series against the number four team in the country, the Wisconsin Badgers. A complete preview of that series coming up on Friday's Budweiser's weekday sports beat. But for a second, I want to take a step back. The Irish faced Michigan State at the Compton Family Ice Arena last weekend. Michigan State, the leaders of the Big Ten. Notre Dame is trying to maintain Their position in the standings. Right now, the Irish in fourth place. Fourth place is the final home ice advantage for the first round of the Big Ten tournament. Right now, Notre Dame, two points behind Minnesota for third. Notre Dame, two points in front of Michigan for fourth. But the Wolverines have two games in hand on the fighting Irish. And Notre Dame and Michigan will wrap up the regular season in Ann Arbor. And next week, the Irish take on the team ahead of them, Minnesota, at the Compton Family Ice Arena. But last weekend, started a stretch of eight consecutive games against teams ranked in the top 12 in the country. Michigan State at eight. Let's see, as of last week, Wisconsin was four, Minnesota was nine, and Michigan was 12. So this will be a defining stretch for the Irish if they can Get hot, it's going to really boost your NCAA tournament resume, and it needs a boost right now as the Irish are on the outside looking in with a month to go in the regular season. But up first was Michigan State, a team that swept the Irish in East Lansing in December. It is a high-powered offensive team averaging over four goals per game and a terrific young goaltender and freshman Trey Augustine who anchored the Team USA's gold medal win in the World Junior Championships and a draft pick of the Detroit Red Wings. Irish played a terrific game last Friday. The game was 1-1. We were already past the halfway point of the third period, and it sure felt like the next goal was going to be the deciding goal in last Friday's game. Bovaro has it. Left point. Skates to the middle. Takes a shot. Just missed it. Short side. Rebound Trevor Janicky at the far post. Took it off the inboards, but couldn't shovel it past Augustine. Bavaro left point walks in cross ice right. Master Domenico back to Bavaro one timer. He scores. Defenseman Drew Bavaro rips it short side by the stick of Augustine. The towels are waving. That's right. Bavaro had the big goal. The Irish went up 2-1 and route to a 4-1 victory over Michigan State, with the Irish falling behind 1-0 to Michigan State last Friday. The Irish handed the Spartans their first loss this year when they scored the first goal of the game. They were 14-0-1. They're now 14-1-1. And it's also the first time that they lost a lead after leading the game after the first period. Bavaro had the game-winner. The Irish would score three times over the final period and beat Michigan State 4-1. to Of course, any Irish victory always seems to start with the great goaltending of Ryan Bischel. Michigan State responded last Saturday, and they beat the Irish 4-0. The Irish had their chances, just couldn't score. Only the second time Notre Dame has been shut out this year. The other time was October 14th against RIT in Rochester New York. Michigan State had a lot of fire in them after losing the night before. Irish, had thought, maintained really good play through the first period. Then Michigan State got rolling, and the Irish could not beat Augustine. And Michigan State went home with three points. The Irish grabbed three points in the weekend series and still are in fourth place, but they're going to have to continue to add points to maintain that fourth-place position in the Big Ten. This week it is number 4 Wisconsin in front of the Irish the Badgers beat Notre Dame twice at the Compton Family Ice Arena 2-1 in a wild 7-4 game a game in which the Irish were down 5-1 and facing the number 1 scoring defensive team of the country scored 3 goals in the second to get to within 5-4 before losing 7-4 you can't walk away pointless from the Kohl Center it's going got to be tough, though. They are very, very difficult to beat in that building under first-year head coach Mike Hastings. They've got a great goaltender and Kyle McClellan. They're very structured defensively. It's almost kind of like playing Notre Dame at times through the years. So this is going to be a tough challenge. But the Irish know they can get the job done based on what they did last Friday. Just got to be patient against this Wisconsin team. All right, Friday at 8, Saturday at 7 on Quality Rock, 94.3 FM.
0: Treat your family for Valentine's Day to a delicious pizza from...